This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morrison. For the summer months on the Bobcast, we are taking a trip down memory lane with student athletes from the past. This week, we chat with the first Bates woman to compete in the Olympic Games, Nancy Ingersoll Fiddler, from the class of 1978. That's coming up on the Bates Bobcast. Nancy Ingersoll Fiddler was a pioneer in more ways than one during her time as a Bobcat. She joined the field hockey team as a first year in 1974. Then that spring, she led the charge to start a women's lacrosse program at Bates. As a sophomore, she joined a young Bates women's Nordic skiing program despite having no experience with the sport. But she immediately started winning every race, eventually becoming Bates' first female All-American in 1978. Before she was done at Bates, Ingersoll Fiddler led the way in starting a women's cross-country club, which earned varsity status soon after. Ten years after she graduated, Ingersoll Fiddler qualified for the 1988 Winter Olympics in Nordic skiing. She followed that up by qualifying again in 1992. A 14-time United States national champion, Ingersoll Fiddler was one of the top 20 Nordic skiers in the world for many years. Her daughter, Laurel Fiddler, also competed for the Bates Nordic team, graduating in 2017. A 2016 inductee into the Maine Ski Hall of Fame, Ingersoll Fiddler joins the Bobcast to reflect on her remarkable career. Nancy, before we get to your career in Nordic skiing for the Bobcats, take us back to when you're growing up. What first got you into sports in general? I know you weren't a skier growing up, but what got you, you know, into the sports mindset, whether it be field hockey, lacrosse, or, or whatnot? Yeah, so I come from kind of a sporty family, and I have uh, three brothers. So that automatically uh, kept me on the run, so to speak. My parents were super supportive of all of our activities, whether it was sports or scouts or whatever it was we were doing. But we all pretty much gravitated toward athletic activities because um, we just loved them. And it was somewhat available as, as kids growing up in suburban New York and uh, Massachusetts. So, um, yeah, so I ran around a lot outside with my brothers and we did pick up games in the yard with the neighborhood and I was somewhat of a tomboy and uh, by the time I got to high school, having thrown a baseball and a football most of my uh, younger years, I needed like a, a girl's sport, right? So they had at the, I was, at the time I was in suburban New York State and um, they had a field hockey team and I think I was about we called it junior high back then. It was seventh grade, eighth grade. And we um, had an incredibly sort of archaic setup. We had these ancient kind of blue wool um, jumpers that we wore with bloomers underneath. And they had these kind of, they came down to your knees and they were, then they had like a little thing we wore around our waist to tie it all together. And um, we wore those and I learned field hockey and about seventh grade and so I took when we moved to Massachusetts um, lived outside of Boston for most of my high school I was able to continue the field hockey there and I also learned lacrosse at that point so as a freshman yeah freshman in high school I learned lacrosse newbie to the sport but it they had um, 
in suburban Boston area, they had a lot of lacrosse for girls. And that was kind of between hockey and lacrosse. Those were kind of the big team sports at that time. So that was in the um, early 1970s. And so I got to play varsity field hockey, varsity lacrosse. And um, I was at the time looking for a winter sport and I didn't like basketball. I was not was not my my thing. I didn't really enjoy being inside and the squeak of the shoes. I don't know, something about it never really was fun for me. So, um, but I love the water. But the funny part was I, I really didn't enjoy uh, swimming laps. So I got it in my mind that I joined the diving team. So our high school had a beautiful pool with, with um, competition pool with nice diving setup. And so I had, from growing up, I've always been able to do tricks on the diving board because my older brother was constantly challenging, or I would should say bullying us into <laughs> jumping off the board and doing a back flip or a front flip or a couple of, yeah, the high board, the low board. And so we all just kind of went, okay. And so we all learned how to dive. So I, I was a passable diver, nothing special. So those are my three sports. So I had hockey, then diving and lacrosse. So that took me through high school and had a lot of fun with that. Never was too serious about it, but could always make starting lineup just based on some uh, genetic traits, I guess, some athleticism that I inherited from my dad, who was a uh, high school and college um, quarter miler. So we had athletics in our genes, all of us. But anyway, so I, I hadn't, the, the thought of running hadn't occurred to me at all, but all these other things appealed to me. So when I went off to college, I knew Bates had a, a good field hockey program. And so that was of interest to me. And I went off my freshman year and I joined the hockey team. And it was pretty, actually, it was a really good setup. We had a um, varsity and JV team. And we had um, a lot of girls come to Bates with an interest in hockey. So I think we were reasonable. We weren't probably the best team in, in our league. but we. We had a lot of fun playing and we had two coaches and we uh, where the musky archives are now, that was our locker room. And yeah, yeah. And it was, it was kind of a pinchy little area that, that had, um, gosh, I don't even really think we had showers, but we had lockers and yeah, we were on the, yeah. So we were on the other side of the um, old field house there and that was where we went out of. And now I don't even recognize the whole athletic facility, but yeah. So that was where we hung out. And so I played hockey and then in the winter without a pool at Bates, there was no pool at that time. When I graduated in 1978, um, we had the groundbreaking for the, the new athletic facility, but otherwise it was just everything on that side of the road and um, yeah, no pool. So I was kind of at a loss my freshman year and I did what, most freshmen do who are at a loss, um, just hit the parties extra hard and uh, did, you know, did my schoolwork and had a good time with my friends. But it was strange for me after being super involved in sports kind of my whole life to not have anything to do. And I was kind of just bouncing around. I went, I went skiing. I joined the outing club and went, you know, we went to up to um, Sugarloaf and, Sunday River and we, we skied and I did a few things like that. But otherwise I was, 
it was strange. So uh, come spring, and I'm having, I was trying to figure this out for you, like the timeline of everything, mm-hmm. but I think it was freshman year that we tried to put together a lacrosse club in 75. Women's lacrosse, I was looking at this, 1975, spring of 75, so that would have been your first year. And the team went two and one, apparently, <laughs> for three games. I don't know, but if you can fill me in on that, I guess, yeah. <laughs> okay, so here, so here's how it went. I I had a, a few teammates from the field hockey team who had also grown up in high school playing uh, lacrosse, and we were kind of going, whoa, where's the lacrosse team? And um, so we went to Miss Yakawanis, who was our hockey coach, who we who we really liked and respected, and we said, hey, what about women's lacrosse? And she said, we don't have it, we don't know how to do it, but let's let's try to make it happen. And our athletic director at the time was Bob Hatch, and he was super instrumental in punching a bunch of this stuff through for us. And so um, we we asked Coach if we could get this team together. She said, I don't really know anything about it, but I'll read up on it. And she procured for us some, hockey, some uh, lacrosse sticks that were kind of the old school kind with the cat gut and the wood and you had to tighten it all up and you know it it wasn't like what lacrosse sticks look like today but she got some sticks for us I think they were used and um, put it together and she told um, a couple of us that we could kind of self-coach and that she would we could recruit our friends, whoever we thought we could teach from the hockey team or people who had played before. It was kind of open to anyone. And um, so we had this kind of all comers thing. And we, my um, friend, uh, Lori Chambers, she and I were sort of the unofficial coaches and we tried to remember all the drills we could. And we taught a team how to play lacrosse. And, and uh, Miss Yakawanis got us some games and we had to play against schools that had lacrosse. We were a club and we played against some teams that were legit. Like I remember going down to um, maybe Plymouth State or somewhere and we got just hammered by, by some of these, these places that had um, some pretty good teams with big, strong players. And we, you know, I mean, it was fun. But we somehow managed to get through that, and it was enough for the uh, with Title IX in place to get some um, legitimate a team going. And I think the next year we went full of varsity status. Sherry Yakawanis, who um, became Sherry to Shane, she helped you. Um, she was the field hockey coach. What do you remember about her and helped you start women's lacrosse as well? What do you remember about her in terms of as a coach? What was she like supporting student athletes and everything? Oh, she was great. Um, Miss Yakawanis was, she was awesome. And we felt that she totally had our backs, um, when we wanted to start the club lacrosse and there was never any barrier in the way. It was just, it was, everyone was, um, opening doors for us. And she was a big part of that. And she was one of those people who you didn't feel like you couldn't go into her office and, and sit down and have a, a chat with her about anything. And, um, I know a lot of people really, really liked her as a coach. And then you said Patricia Smith came on the second year for women's lacrosse. What do you remember about her? Okay. So 
Yeah, I kind of feel like she was our assistant hockey coach, too. She was great. She kind of came from a summer camp counselor um, background. I know she had, she worked at a summer camp in Maine for many years and um, was just an all-around um, positive, super positive person who, again, supported us when we wanted to do something. And she, in fact, in my memory, is the one who helped us get the cross-country running uh, pushed through, too. You led right into it there, cross-country running. How did that get started, kind of? Because you, you were helping establish that kind of a, as a sport there as well at base for women. Yeah, so in my mind, um, and there are probably other people you could talk to or look, look things up, but I feel like the first thing that happened, there was no women's track and field, and there was not any women's cross-country. And um, I feel like that the women's track and field started to evolve first. And it was at the time when Walt Slavinsky was the coach of the men's programs. And I feel like there was a push by Walt and Bob Hatch to get a women's team. And I'm talking about this because this has a little bit to do with how I joined uh, the Nordic team. Mm. So uh, I got um, approached by someone and I can't remember if it was one of those two administrators or by some men on the team but someone said hey we're starting a women's track team and we're looking for um for people who already play sports and what would you like to do we really need some people to do the field events right now and i was like oh i don't know how to do any of that and so they said oh well think about it you know go home and think about maybe shot put or I mean, they were just, I was just like, I don't even really know what any of that is. I, my brother was a runner and, and a, a very good runner in high school and college, but I, I poo-pooed the whole idea of doing anything like that. And um, so I went home and I think I told my parents that I was being recruited for the first ever Bates women's um, uh, uh, track and field team. And they said, oh, you're gonna, you don't like running. And I said, no, no, no. I, I told them I don't want to run, but they need people to do field events, which to me was like a nice shortcut to be on a team and not have to run <laughs> or swim laps. So uh, I, they were just like, no, you are not going to do, throw any shot puts or javelins or, you know, I just wasn't built like that for starters. And they talk, completely talked me out of it. And I don't really know why, but they just didn't think it was the right thing for me to be doing. So I switched gears. And I think this was my second year in school because that's when I started uh, doing the Nordic. So right. I think then I decided I was going to do Nordic because I was approached by the coach at a party, which is, that doesn't even go together, right? The coach was at a party at, at school. And he walked up to me and said, hey, uh, would you like to join the women's Nordic team? I said, well, I don't know how to Nordic ski. And he said, that's no problem. We're recruiting women to be on our uh, team. And you look like you, you know, you look athletic. And so I said, well, sure. So I, I said, why not? I know how to alpine ski. I, this, how hard could it be? So that's how I, I got recruited. And I know from talking to people who came before me that there had been a women's team in place. And it was uh, maybe, this is maybe the third year that they had a women's Nordic team. It was very poorly um, attended by, it was not a full team. And I think it, it was just 
barely gaining momentum, but we had a new coach that year, a fellow named Hank Lang, and he worked under um, Bob Flynn. So we, uh, I went out for practice after Christmas. I came back after Christmas and I was like, whoa, like, I think I need to be a little bit in shape to do this. So I think during Christmas, I went out and ran. Like I did a couple miles here and there. And I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And I remember walking out to, uh, out and across the street to where it was the soccer field, which is now, I don't know, it's like the kind of behind JB. I think it might be baseball diamond. And we put our skis on over there because uh, the, the ski room, as it still is, it was in the old building in the alumni gym. So, but I don't think we had the old ski room. I, th I feel like it was over by the, where the hockey um, locker room was. Anyway, we walked across the street and put our skis on. It was really cold. I had no ski clothes. I think I had a down jacket. I had Alpine skiing mittens and a pair of like Levi's with long underwear. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this. And I spent like the next two hours falling down. <laughs> and we had a little course that, that went out to kind of went over a few little bumps and then it went out to where the track is now. And, and that used to be a soccer field over there. And so we went around and around this field and the other people on the team had all skied in high school and they were just gliding and kicking around this field. And we kind of skied in this little track and I, um, continued to fall down and, and make a complete idiot out of myself. But I, for some reason I loved it. And I think I did because it was just so darn hard. It was just that I had no idea that there was technique involved and, and just the, you know, the putting on of the wax and making the wax kick at the right time in the cycle of kick and glide. And so I had a pretty good, I had a pretty bad time that was to me, um, triggered like bad can mean a lot of fun, right? It's challenging. And I think that just, it stuck with me. So we trained for a few weeks and I think the only place I ever really skied in, in college for the next three years was at Lost Valley. They had a, a little 2K loop that went from the Alpine Hill out through some fields and then it came back in higher up on that slope. And then we bombed down the hill and go back in. I skied the same 2K like for three years. I mean, I just, and I didn't know any better, really. I was like, okay, we're going to practice. We're going to ski around this loop again. But um, we skied around that loop and I kind of got it together a little bit. And then we had a little dual meet against Colby and I got super nervous, but I went out and I won the meet and everyone, no one on my team could believe it. They were like, well, you're just a beginner and you never skied before. And I just went, I don't know. I don't know. So and that clinched it for me. I, I was like, wow, I really, this is great. So I think I was really touching, finally touching uh, my athletic roots. Um, sort of what I was maybe, my body was designed to be a, um, an endurance athlete and I had no idea. So I was going, oh, okay, this, this is what it is. And I was, and I recognized that and I loved it and I loved the challenge and the coach, um, was real made everything really fun. Hank made it a great time and every practice was super lighthearted and the, the gals on the team were great. And we trained with the men and they were in the, the division one Nordic and we were in what is not in existence anymore, a division two for Nordic. And that consisted of some of the smaller schools and state state schools. And um, we were pretty good for that division two. The year after I left, 
1979, I believe, and you can check your um, stats, but I believe that the Bates women moved up into the Division One, and that was based on points that we earned during the year, and and so and and there they are now. And I don't really even think there isn't. There's the NCSCA now, with um, maybe has replaced that. That's a different league, but now Bates has been D1 for a long time. But the way it was set up, we were, if you were good enough in the division two and you scored high enough in the races, you were allowed to move on to the, uh, the D1 races. I remember being able to qualify for, it was called AIAW, yeah. national championships. And I don't know when they switched that over to NC2A for, for us, but we were AIAW. And I don't know whether that was for all sports, but we, that was our national championship. So I was allowed for, I think my junior and senior year, I went to qualifications. So I would go to a division one race and I would get really nervous about that. But I always, I qualified for two years to go to this AIAW championship. And so that's how I made it there. So everything, it's interesting. Everything worked out if you were motivated. And I always felt, I I mean, really strongly, I feel that the people at Bates helped really helped me through the process of um, getting to where I needed to go. Yeah. So, so between um, coach Flynn and Hank and athletic directors and uh, hockey and lacrosse coaches, everyone really made it possible. I don't remember ever really being stressed out about, Oh, how am I going to make it? How am I going to try to qualify for nationals? It was, you know, and someone got me there and someone took care of my ski, you know, it was, it was, it was great. And I didn't, I don't think I recognized that until later, uh, years later, when I thought, wow, you know, I really had a lot of legs up in, in this sport. And Bates was instrumental in, in helping me on my path, which, which takes us to where did the cross-country running coming from? Yeah. Yeah. So where, so where did we come up with that? Well, so I got, after my sophomore year, I realized, well, if you're going to be a Nordic skier and you want to get better at it you have to train in the summer in the off season so I took up running which I never thought I would and um my dad was laughing the whole time but um yeah so I finally decided yeah I'll be a runner and I picked that up really well and I joined a club and I I think it was my idea to have a club program my maybe my junior year or it was maybe my senior year. I think my junior year, I, I played field hockey. And then after hockey, I'd go out and run. And then I think the next year I said, no, I just want to run. I don't want to play hockey in the fall. I want to run. But we didn't have a team. So I, again, went to, I think it was Pat Smith this time and said, hey, we want, I want this running thing. I want to do this. I don't know if I'm going to do hockey. I want to get ready for skiing. That's going to be my big sport. And so again, we, because of Title IX, it was, it became available to us as a club, I believe my senior year or junior year, you can look up when it became a club, but we, we maybe ran a few little meets. I don't remember much about it. And then the next, I believe the next year, again, it went into, by 1979, I think it must have gone into a varsity status sport. It was just a few, it was a handful of people, handful of girls. A lot of them had joined that, the track and field. And so I was able to recruit from there and talk people into it. And I don't really know if we had a coach or if we just went out and ran. 
maybe Pat was there to help us, but I do remember Pat and somebody else, I believe her name was Gloria. Was her name Gloria? She was blonde. They drove me down to Boston for the, um, the legs mini marathon 10 K in Boston. So I could run in a, in a, like a real race, a road race. And they took me down there and had a, um, I had a great time. I think I placed top 20 and I do have a, somewhere in my stuff, I have a, a result sheet that's typewritten from 1977 that shows the first ever women's NESCAC results. And I think it was at Williams College. And I was there, I was in it. I was in this result and it, I placed like seventh place or something like that. And I completely forgotten about it. And I was going through some things at my parents' house and I found this and I said, well, look at that. And then, well, you know, Tom Leonard. Yeah. So you can ask Tom about that too. Cause he's, he kind of remembers some of that too. And also, um, Paul Oparowski's wife, Sue Beckwith, she, she was on the track. She was on the, the track, the track and field team. And she also did cross country, I think with us too. And Paul was a big Bates runner. But um, I know Tom has a lot of records of things, and, and he even came up with that same result sheet at one point and said, hey, you were in the first ever women's NESCAC mm. meeting. And I was like, I was. And then I found that other one at my parents. I'm like, yeah, it's real. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You forget all the little stuff. But, again, I don't remember there being any struggle about can we, can we make this happen? Title IX was there, and I, and I think um, um, our athletic director, director um bob hatch was uh, very very um much a part of this making it happen great i'm curious you mentioned the coach approached you at the party to join the nordic team which coach was that was that was that flinny or was that oh no 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 oh uh, flynn will say he'll say that he did it but it was yeah, that's what our record say it's like you know bob flynn convinced nancy to join the nordic team <laughs> now that's become um kind of just a legend so okay. we just go with it yeah now yeah but it was really, um, it was Hank who had gone to Bowdoin and skied at Bowdoin. And um, he was super young. So he, you know, hung out with the athletes, which coaches now, they don't do that anymore. But yeah, you know, so he was just looking for people to be on the team. I mean, he was seriously looking for people, especially girls. And, and it was a small, it was a small group of us, but we sure had fun. And if it wasn't that much fun, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it. So, but Coach Flynn, he was there. He went to the meets and I think he more traveled with the men. But at the time we had men had jumping and oh. alpine and Nordic and women had Nordic and alpine. And so we traveled separately because alpine and Nordic for Bates women were all D2. But we trained together and then we split for, for meets on the weekends. And I think Flynnie mostly went with um, the Division One. And he would, because, yeah, because Hank had to go with us. So someone had to kick wax their skis. And I think he did that. And then he showed up at some of our meets and yeah, but he'll take credit. He'll take full credit and we let him have it. He loved to hold court and we all listened and he was very influential even, you know, back, back in the day. So I know over time, you know, he gained more and more of a reputation, but um, I, it was fun being able to go back to Bates when Laurel was, uh, Mm-hmm. at school there and and hang out with Becky and and coach and just it was it was truly a full circle for me it was really great 
so coach Hank is the one who really worked with the women's team more directly. What did he kind of teach you how to do this or you teach yourself more? How did that go in terms of learning the sport? Yeah, he, he taught, he had us out there doing drills and, um, you know, keeping us, yeah, doing what we're supposed to do intervals. And yeah, he taught me how to, he taught me the techniques and he waxed our skis at the races and we, we all trained, you know, we had organized practice and, he knew enough, right? You didn't have to, back then, I don't think it took much to coach a division two women's Nordic team. And, but we had the boys trained with us too. So he was coach of both teams. And, um, and then I think uh, coach Flynn took the men to the races and, and he took us. Hank, he was our coach for maybe two years. And then we had Buzzy Davis. Yeah. So Buzzy Davis went to UNH and was a skier at UNH. Mm. And I, think I kind of think he's from like the Auburn area and he um he stepped in when Hank was was finished and uh was he was a good coach too I, I mean I we we didn't have the like the light-hearted games were kind of over but maybe that was just Hank's style he went on to, Hank went on to coach the Bill Coke Youth Ski League after that which I thought wow that was like a perfect transition for him because he kind of we acted like little kids when we were in practice with him because he made it, you know, it was games and fun and little competitions. And so I thought, wow, that's like the perfect thing for him. And then we got coach um, Buzzy Davis and he's a little more serious and uh, maybe, maybe had more knowledge, but um, I don't know whether he went on after that year to coach. Maybe. Yeah, he did. I think because hmm, I think he stayed on a few more years. And then he went on to develop a little cross-country area near Auburn called Snorada. That's probably something you'd never remember. But my brother was at Bates, and he remembers skiing at Snorada. Hmm. So those are my two coaches. So you played field hockey, it sounds like, for two or three years. Did you end up playing lacrosse all four years, or did you kind of stop that after you started skiing, or how did that go? I think I, I, think I did lacrosse for three years, because, and it was during short term. Mm-hmm. So I stayed for short term for three years. And then my senior year, I was invited to go to a U.S. ski team training camp in uh, Wyoming during May. So I sort of clicked out of going to short term. I didn't need it. Sport term. I didn't need another one. So I decided I'd go to this camp. And another friend of mine who was invited, um, she and I went down to New Jersey and we picked up a van that belonged to the U S ski team. And they wanted us, they wanted that van driven across the country. And I think part of their reasoning for inviting us was to get that van out to uh, Grand Targhee. So um, my friend Janet, who skied for Middlebury and I um, drove this van across to Wyoming and joined the camp and uh, was, I was totally out of my league, but it was just great to be in that environment with Bill Koch and, some of the the greats um, in our skiing history and to do some training and get, get really the first real coaching I had. Mm. And um, that's where I met Dick Taylor, who's um, a native of Bethel. He lives in Bethel and worked at the Gould Academy and worked with the U.S. ski team for many, many years. But he kind of really taught me how to ski to the next level. Quickly going back to your senior year, um, fourth place showing at nationals, all America honors that year. And they were at angels fire, New Mexico, your senior season. What do you remember about that experience earning those all America honors by that fourth place finish? Oh, okay. So, um, I remember a lot about it actually. 
initially, Bates said, oh, we're going to send you out there, but we, we're not going to send a coach. And I was not confident enough to, to go there. So when I said, I'd really like Buzzy to come with me, they somehow they rustled up enough funding to send them out there. So we, it, we were going to be kind of hanging out with the Middlebury team. So we went and that was who I, I roomed with the Middlebury athlete and, um, you know, we would go up and practice with them. But anyway, so that was like our maybe sort of a sister team or something, but it was only me um, that who qualified from our team and um, fuzzy. So we flew out, met the Middlebury skiers and went out, went up there and it was my first time at altitude. And I think angel fire, it's maybe like 8,000 feet. I, I think it's pretty darn high. And what I really remember about it was it was really warm. And so it was warm and high and pretty hard. So I think a lot of us flatlanders suffered, but I think the people who suffered the, who knew how to suffer the hardest were able to get those top 10 honors. And I just, all I remember is just skiing as hard as I could and being basically hypoxic the whole time, but just, and being really surprised that I was fourth. And surprised that I had beaten, you know, all these people from Alaska and from all over the country who I looked up to. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a mistake. So that was, that was pretty fun. And I remember getting really bad sunburn and um, just having a great time. And some of those Middlebury skiers who I hung out with that week are, we've been lifelong friends since. So it was a really important week for me to make those friendships and to experience that caliber of, of skiing. So um, it was great. My parents flew out and watched and um, yeah, it was, it was a super awesome week. They had a nice award ceremony and we all got, you know, it was, it was my first time really doing where I had stood out at anything. And I was always kind of pretty good at everything, but this is where I was able to just go, wow, skiing, I really love skiing. Well, you might be underselling that. You went undefeated in meets, right? I mean, like at base. Yeah, Division Two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But Division Two. Right. How was it formatted back then in terms of the regular season, like schedule? Because now they have like carnivals and everything, whether it be the Bates Carnival, Middlebury Carnival. How was? What was it like? Was it just like one school versus another school? How did that go during the normal season? Division One women went to carnivals, and okay. when I was able to qualify for the. Um, the nationals i went to middlebury carnival but we didn't division two didn't have carnivals but we had a little league so we went to the we would go who to whoever's hosting the meet and we would um race the same schools every week so it's kind of a mini carnival circuit maybe and it was schools like i think colby and harvard and plymouth state um linden linden state probably bowden and um UMaine, Farmington maybe. There were there was a lot of little smaller schools who who um were in this league and we it was the same people every week. And you were winning every week. What was that like? I mean, really like, is anyone ever gonna catch me or what was that kind of feeling like? Well I would win and I would win like by two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I know it was well, I kinda got used to it. Yeah. You know, okay, I'm, let's go we'll go win a let's go win a ski race. <laughs> So I don't, you know, I don't feel like these people didn't know how to ski. I just think that I 
I've worked really hard in the races. I, I wanted to win every race. That was the only thing to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so if I understand it, so you finished fourth at, at nationals your senior year, and then you went out, um, you mentioned uh, like for uh, trying to make the Olympic team, right? And then I guess it didn't work out the first time and you stopped skiing for a while competitively or how did that go kind of, I guess? Okay, so the U.S. ski team is, has a very, very turbulent history. Hmm. Um, and a lot of, you know, just a revolving pol political scene like any organization. And, you know, a very, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of leaders in, in the cast of characters and a lot of people with opinions and ideas. And of course, you know what happens there. So the U.S. ski team was no different from any big organization like that. And um, so at the time when I was in a senior, um, I was ranked pretty high on the uh, USSA points list. So if you're familiar with that, um, the, the, less, the fewer points you have, the higher you're ranked. So you want to be ranked with low points. And that, so I, I think my senior year, I'd gone to enough races where you could get the points and these are not um college races they're they were eastern cups or points, um races where that were sanctioned for these points so uh i know hank took me and buzzy took me to races um during the week or like say we had our our races um we only raced on fridays so sometimes we'd go again and race somewhere else on saturday and uh, whoever wanted to go and so i would always go and some of the guys would go and we would try to, you know, work on our points. And so because of my ranking on that list, I believe I was about 13th, 14th in the country by my senior year spring. And that's how I got invited to that camp. And I was also named to a uh, development team. So, which didn't mean anything except that if you, if you could get to a camp, you could be there and pay your way, you could be there. And so we had a, um, regional setup at that time. So I had a, um, a regional coach and then we, um, we, we sent like by mail, snail mail, we sent our training logs and he would send us, you know, like training plans. And once in a while we would meet up as a group, but it was pretty informal and you, we were mainly on our own. I mean, I was pretty much on my own and I know I, when I graduated, I had enough people tell me that, oh, you should stick in this, you know, maybe you can make Olympics are in two years. And there's really no reason for me to make that Olympic team. There wasn't, I hadn't skied long enough and I didn't have a formal enough background. I was never raced as a junior. So nothing should have led me to think that, but it, it was enough encouragement to keep trying. So I raced for those couple years kind of just independently and i had some opportunity with this development team like i said it was not super formal but there was a changing of the guard at the u.s ski team and um the coach who had noticed me and it was kind of helping me along got he got kicked out and um other people came and took the reins and they turned over all the funding to just the top few skiers, which included Bill Koch and Allison Owen, Spencer, and you know, some of the true, the, our, some of our greats, but they were like, no, nah, we don't want to bother with, you know, we're only going to put all our money into the top people. So I kind of fell by the wayside and 
by the time 80 came along, I was just working a little bit. And then I, I had a ski sponsor, but really I, I had no idea what I was doing. And I went to the Olympic trials in 79. No, I went to the pre-Olympics in 79 at Lake Placid and uh, skied there, which was pretty cool. And then I went to um, the trials in 80. And of course I didn't make the team. I, I had no business doing that. I just didn't have enough background. But then I became discouraged. And, you know, I really had no, I had no, um, oops, here's the cat. <laughs> I had nobody uh, really backing me outside of like my parents, you know, well, if you want to keep going, you know, what are you doing? And, you know, we're here for you if you need it. But so I moved out West and I ended up working at odd jobs and teaching skiing and, and having, you know, a great time. And I was super um, active in the mountains. I learned um, climbing and I was backpacking and hiking, you know, bagging peaks and hiking all over and really building what, what we call a base for um, an aerobic base for endurance athletes. And I had no idea at the time, but I took maybe six or seven years off of formal ski racing. I just didn't, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just, it was, it just felt too lonely and too hard. So I, I, I walked away from it. Although in the winters I was teaching skiing and I taught Nordic and Alpine skiing and I skied a lot and I started going to the far West races. So I'm in California at this point. So our, our region is the far West and we, um, I ended up, you know, winning most of those races and skiing really well and, and having fun. So the fun came back and I, and I was like improving my technique just because I was teaching skiing and I was kind of self-coaching and watching the little bit of video that we had and trying to figure it out and, and working with other people and, oh, how do we do this and that? And, and it was fun. It was a process. And then U.S. Um, National Championships came to California in 1986. So I, Far West, was trying to get a lot of our, our people. You didn't have to qualify to go. You could just go. And so they said, oh, you know, we're trying to push our best skiers to go and represent. And so I said, sure, I'll go. So I went out there. It was at Royal Gorge. Um, and so it was a few hours from where I lived. And I went and stayed with some friends and entered the races. And the, it was all skating at that point, which I taught myself how to skate. And as I was teaching my students, I was teaching myself. And um, so it was kind of a new thing. They didn't even do classic that year, but um, they, they had a 20K and I came in seventh. And some Norwegian guy walked up to me after the race and said, hey, you know, if you'd had better skis, you would have been in the top three in this race. And I was like, nah, I was so far behind. He said, oh, your skis were terrible. And I was like, well, okay, I'll take that. I was just, you know, to me, I just wasn't going to be in it. I, it was kind of a lark. I had no idea how I would do. So I, I, he said, hand me your skis and I'll prep, prepare them for the next race. So I handed him my skis and um, the next race was a 5k. And I, sure enough, I got third in the 5k. And turns out he was a, um, he was the women's national team coach um Torbjorn Carlson and so he fixed me up with those good skis and 
um, he also waxed him for the next race, which was a 10K, and I won that race. So I was a national champion after having not been in it for all these years. And I kind of blew everybody away, including myself. And, you know, really my motivation for going to that championship was to see if I could, like, hook up with any of my old friends and, and say hi and maybe go for a ski, you know, my friends from ski racing days and, and maybe, you know, just have a good time and, and enjoy the racing. And I really didn't think I would do well at all, but there I was. So Torbjorn um, followed up and said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm coaching the women's team. And um, he was over from Norway and he was real, he was a real coach. So he said, if you want to try for this, I'm going to help you. He said, I can't give you anything outside of a training plan. And he said, if you can get to our camps and pay your way, then you can join us at training camps. And he said, I'm, I can, if you work hard this year, you can, you will make the world championship team next um, winter. So that was um, 87. And I said, sure. I like to train. I hadn't, ro I hadn't really roller skied since, you know, college and to college. And so he set me up with roller skis and sent me this in the mail, this training plan. And I, Half the time, I didn't even know what it meant. So I have to call him up and go, what, do you, what does this mean? You know, how, what's, what's, you know, ski walking? What's bounding? What are these, you know, what's, what are these training zones we're supposed to be in? So he was super helpful. And I did go to some camps and I was marginally received by the rest of the national team ladies who I think they were a little put off that I could just walk into their situation and, be you know physically at the same level that they were and you know they'd all been junior skiers and been to junior nationals and junior national champions and raced d1 in college or what and i and i really i had nothing behind me except bates <laughs> well I was and, gonna say, this isn't new for you because you did a summer thing at bates right you just joined the ski team and had immediate success it seems like almost a parallel kind of <laughs> Kind of. And so there I was again. And I was, by this time I was 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So I was a lot older than these gals. And, you know, I was trying really hard to make friends with everybody because it's the best way, right? You know, you want to be friends with your teammates and, you know, competitors. And there was some resistance in the beginning and then kind of people just went, oh gosh, she's not going away. So yeah, I went out to the trials for world championships in the next winter they were out at Giants Ridge in Minnesota and that I think those were also the national championships that year or maybe they were just the trials but anyway I, I went out and said you have to win one race and you're on the team and you have to have whatever two you know another top three or whatever and, and you're there and so I went out right away and I won the 10k the first day and that at that point in time they brought back the classic skiing so I was pretty happy about that. So we were, so when the World Cup in 1986 was all skate and kind of this weird, in 85, it had been kind of a combination of skate and classic, whatever you wanted to do. And then it became all skate. And then in um, 87, 86, 87, they split it into specific classic and skate races. So I was thrilled to have the classic because that was my background. That was what I really knew how to do. So um, whenever they had a classic race, I, 
I was excited. And so I was, I was a better class this year in the end, but I learned to skate pretty well too. I was going to ask you about that. Cause so when you were at Bates, that was all classic technique. There was no skating. Is that right? No skating. Right. So what was it like when you had to learn? I mean, it's, it's, it's still Nordic scheme, but it's such a different, obviously, technique and everything. What was that experience like learning the, the skate, the freestyle? You know, I'd kind of been watching what was happening and thinking, wow, I'm going to need to learn how to do this. And I grew up, you know, in, in the East, so we ice skated as kids. That was one of the things that we did, like in my family, we did it hard. Like after school, go in, get your skates, go to the pond, and the whole neighborhood was there, and we would skate till it was dark. So, and play hockey. So I kind of was already had a little bit of a leg up there because I already knew how to ice skate. And so the ski skating came along in 85 is when we started to really take notice that, hey, this is kind of a real thing. And I, at that point in time, I was part of a um, profession. I was in the professional ski instructors of America as a, as an instructor. And I qualified to make a national instructor team so we were the national um, demonstration team. So we would meet up in the fall and in the spring and, and kind of put our heads together about how to teach how, the new techniques. And so I learned how to skate kind of with this group as we were coming up with um, progressions to teach people how to skate and, and how to incorporate it into our lessons. And so I took all this information from our fall meeting and, and went home and I just started teaching people how to skate. Because for me, that was the way to learn it. And so then I would go out and do my own drills. And, and I, you know, we had a few videos we could watch. And so we would just, it was kind of really a brand new thing. And we, were, we really weren't doing it very well. But the standard wasn't very high either. Like at, at that time, we, we had cut the tips off our classic skis, kind of rounded the tips off so they wouldn't drag and so we were on really a double cambered ski that was too long and we had classic boots that that just didn't didn't work right and so that first in the beginning it was really awkward and then we kind of had a little bit of the skating gear came out the next year and that helped a lot you know we had real skate boots that weren't when I look at it now I'm like how do we even do it but <laughs> they, you know they were not as beefy and good and the bindings weren't very good but you know the as we were evolving as skaters so was the equipment. So we didn't know what we were missing, right? But it was, I don't know, we, I picked it up pretty easily. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about the experience of making the Olympic team. I mean, 1988, Calgary, your first Olympics. I mean, when did you find out you're on the team? What do you remember about the experience in general of going to the Olympics? So going to Calgary. So i had been on, at that point, so 87, I qualified for world championships. And I'd never really done a big international race before. I did, I did the World Cup in, in Telemark, Wisconsin. The, the U.S. hosted the first, its first ever World Cup. And I, I Torbjorn said, oh, you were top 20 there. That's how I, how I went back and looked up your results. So, so I guess I did okay at that. Um, and then I'd gone to those pre-Olympics, which were um, an international race at Lake Placid. But otherwise, I really hadn't, you know, that had been a long time ago. And I, so I went to Oberstdorf, Germany for the world championships. And I, you know, I was, uh, it was kind of mind blowing. I mean, I really didn't have any business being there. 
but I qualified for the U.S. to be on that world championship team. So there I was, and I raced all, I think I raced all the races plus the relay, and I, I had our top result. I got a 25th or 6th in the 5K, and so, you know, and then we stayed on and we did World Cup that for the rest of the winter, and then the next year was um, qualifying for 88. So I, you know, I felt some pressure at that point. I didn't before that because I, it just hadn't occurred to me. But then I was like, wow, you know, I'm going, I, I, next, next up, I have to try out for the Olympics and there's a lot of pressure to make it. And I don't think that was very healthy or, or good. And, and we didn't really have great, like psychology, sports psychology or, and as I said, I was sort of on a, a little bit of a awkward place with my teammates and I, you know, Torbjorn was, he was my coach for seven years and we remain great friends. And he really was, I was just clinging to his knowledge and his confidence in what I could do. But yeah, so I trained with the team. So after the world championships then I was on the U S ski team, so I got funding as an A team member and um, was able to go to camps, you know, legit go to camps. And I trained with my team and we, we, we did, um, everything you do to get ready. And in the fall, I went on snow early and then I got Giardia, which is an intestinal, um, like a, a horrible intestinal thing you get from drinking um, water out here, like stream water. So I didn't know I had it. And so in November, I, I, I pretty much lost three weeks of really important training because I had, uh, my stomach was not right and no one could diagnose it. And I got home and one of my friends is an ER doc and I was talking to her and she said, Oh, you have Giardia here. I'll write you a prescription. And boom, it was gone like in two days. But so I was, I didn't have confidence from that, but I had to go to the qual the qualifications were in January, early January. So I went out to the qualifications and um, I wasn't sure I'd make that team. I honestly didn't, but I did. There I was made the team. <laughs> and then it was, then I was kind of, really knew I wasn't ready for it, but I was going. So I got, I have to say, I was not my best self. I was nervous. I, I was not at all um, confident of my ability to go there and compete. And, and I think I uh, worked myself kind of into a sort of an excitement dread situation about the actual racing and, you know, there's so much pomp and circumstance surrounding it too. And um, important decisions you have to make that, you know, I just didn't feel equipped to make them all. And, but I kind of just stumbled through it and, and it was amazing. You know, it was just mind blowing. And, and my family all came and, you know, I didn't want to let them down and, and I raced reasonably. Okay. I mean, I think our relay team got eighth. And I had some results in the 40s, I think, low 40s, maybe. That was about as, as well as I did. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, you know, that was for what, for how you got there, I think that was pretty good. But at the time, I got kind of down on myself. And, you know, then, you know, we all went home to regroup and there were more races to go to for the rest of the season. And I, I got through that. And I'm, and I'm sure being that sick in November didn't help. But um, that summer, I... I kind of pulled myself together and I just said, look, you can do this. You can, 
you, you, you shouldn't let those, um, yeah, those East Germans and Russians intimidate you. Um, and, and that's a whole nother story, but, um, yeah, that I, I just said, you know, you, you've got to just figure, you know, they're just like you, they're just women somewhere else who are doing the same things every day that you are. And so I, I kind of used that as a springboard for my, the rest of my skiing career and just said, you've got this you just have to knuckle under and, and I did. And I, I had to remember that, you know, I was really getting a second chance and to be 31 years old and going to the Olympics and I'm still was improving. I had to go, you know what, every year's a gift here and I have to just make the most of it. I don't have time to waste. I don't have time to waste on, you know, negativity or not feeling good about you know, myself or good enough. And I'm just going to listen to Torbjorn and I'm going to do, I'm going to really double down. And, and I did, and I just continued, you know, I, I, I had like hyper focus on it and it, and it was good. And it was, and I was happy doing it. I was excited about the races and I was just, I couldn't wait to do it. And so the rest of my career was, was, you know, the results came for me. I mean, it was, you know, we weren't winning medals and that's, hard to explain to people who ask you, oh, you went to the Olympics, what medal did you win? And you just go, oh. you know, a lot of people go to the Olympics and they work super hard to get there and they're representing their sport as the best in their country, but they're not necessarily gonna win a medal. And it's hard to explain that, but you know, I came up with some good answers. And you know, for me getting the top 20s in, in World Cups and at World Championships and things like that were, were really, I felt really good about that. So, and, you know, we, I have to add this, we were all back then in the eighties and the nineties, the, the doping was out of control. And it was, if you, you know, if I went to worlds, I went to worlds in 19, it was in 91 and I think in 18, 89 and 91, and I had top twenties and, you know, really those were top tens. And if you throw out the, the dopers and it, it wasn't just Russia, and it wasn't just, well, East Germany, of course, that all changed during the time I was skiing, but they were bad dopers. And it was, you know, but it was other countries too. And, it, and we knew who they were and it wasn't fair. And there was doping controls, but not like there is today. And it, even today with doping controls, there are so many ways to, um, to dodge the bullet. And, and there's, it's still, I'm unfortunately not a level playing field. It's getting better. And I know a lot of athletes are working really hard today to make it fair for even not for them, but for the next generation. And I, you know, we were just stuck in it. I don't think there were, there was any, you know, it, it was just sort of what was happening, but we were a clean team and we took pride in that. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm glad I I'm so glad I was never offered that opportunity. I don't, it just it's too t it's too hard i mean being clean and and getting you know 24th or whatever is way better than than a you know a, a, a dirty medal so um so when i went to 92 i was in in a much better mm. health and in a better frame of mind and that went so much so much better that was in france in alberville so i really was pleased with my results there and you know i had top results for the u.s and you know i was at that point i was like 35 or 36 i was getting up there so um 
I can't say that my career was um, linear in the correct, you know, how development that, that it's supposed to, you know, how skiers today, successful skiers follow a definite pipeline. You know, there's a linear strategy to, to moving forward in the sport. And, you know, I was hit and miss and I just happened to have good people behind me and, and when it counted and I was the right, you know, personality to, to pursue on my own too. I, I, it just, that part came easy to me. I wanted it. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be, to, you know, you, you will forever hold the distinction of, you know, Bates first female Olympian. What, what does that, what does that mean to you? I saw that written somewhere after the fact and I went, wow, I am, you know, I, it didn't occur to me that, that no one had done that. So, um, but that's pretty cool. Right. I yeah. thought that was, to me, that meant a lot you know, to be able to do that for Bates, actually. And to, um, for all the people who, who saw some ability in me during, you know, college years where, you know, people aren't really fully formed people in college. You're becoming who you are, but really you're just, there's a lot of confusion and chaos and jumping around to things and, I mean, at least that's how it was for me, but to have, you know, to come out of it with some, with this, you know, people believed in me and, and pushed me forward and it turned into what I did. And, and I still, I'm still very active in the sport and I'm, I have to say, I, maybe that wouldn't have been so if I, if I hadn't gotten that early, um, just the good feeling of, of people believing in me and, and what I might possibly do. Well, it's weird how going to one party can change your life, right? Yeah, I went to more than one party, but that was a that was the right one to be at that day, that night. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. <laughs> I was ask you, how cool was it to have your daughter Laurel go to Bates as well and compete on the Nordic team? Yeah, I mean, what was that experience like to watching her compete in college? Oh, that was so fun for me. It was it was like having a second uh, set of four years at Bates to have your, you know, your child go there is for everyone. I'm sure it feels like that because, Oh boy, we get to go to campus and, you know, check it out and, and kind of follow your child through their four year college career and academics is it's exciting. And then to have them be part of a sport, especially a sport that, you know, that, that I was part of is, was just so fun for me, but you know, she grew up with me as her coach. Mm -hmm. And so it, I wasn't ever really sure she'd ski in college. It wasn't, it was something we vaguely talked about early on. And, and then she kind of got it in her own head that I want to go to a school back East and ski and ski in college. And so she had all the opportunities that kids have now, you know, she's on a junior team. I was her coach and we, she was on, she raced for her high school and she raced for, you know, raced um, in far West and went to junior nationals five years. And she had the, you know, the right trajectory and um, loved it, loved, you know, had so many friends in the sport. And I took a lot of joy in just seeing how much fun she was having with skiing and all the people she was meeting and the connections and getting to go to camps and things was really fun to watch and then she's no i want to you know i want to go to bates and ski and i went wow okay well it's you gotta get in <laughs> and you have to ski well enough for for becky to notice you so she worked 
she worked toward those goals and you know we got a hold of becky and um went and visited when she was a junior and um it was great coach was there and becky was there and it was it was kind of neat i coach's desk had a um a picture my no it was um it was my all-american certificate was hanging over his desk and he said i never gave that to you he said i've kept it all these years yeah he gave it to me then was um looking at Bates that was so cool that was a really cool thing so um I got my all-american certificate like whatever 40 years later um <laughs> and then yeah and then Laurel Laurel got into the school and um communicated with Becky and you know I feel like the team she walked into was just the best one of the best groups of um kids imaginable it was maybe they're all like that at Bates who knows but um it was just an awesome group and they had they had a great time together and um I think a little bit of Laurel you know compares herself to me but she was in it you know really on her on her own to do what she was gonna do and I don't think she ever felt you know short like she came up short and um, just loved her, her teammates are still her best friends. And, you know, there's just a lot that that team gives. And um, she's been coaching these past few years. So that's been really fun. And she sees Becky all the time. And because um, she's at Gould Academy, she's a teacher and a, a Nordic, and she's the head Nordic coach there. So um, she's, yeah, but it's, it's in her blood and she loves it. Yeah. And she came out with me this morning. I still volunteer with our mammoth club and she came out with me this morning and we helped out with the kids and we're just like, Oh, it's, it's still so much fun. Isn't it? Just to be out there and working on stuff with kids. And so, yeah. So my after college, I, I was and after my skiing, you know, I, I really didn't have a career path. So outside of skiing. And so I, I became a, a coach and a, and a, ski instructor and took that to be you know I took it as far as I could really you know I tried I trained and did all the right things and did got all the badges and certificates and um but I think probably you know the biggest contribution I've made back to the sport is is what I did here in Mammoth with the youth programs and there were no kids ski programs in Mammoth it was all alpine so there was nothing nordic and so when I retired I said that I'm going to change that and I formed up um, uh, all the way from ski PE at the elementary school to middle school and high school race teams and a, a club team and uh, master's programs for adult skiers and all those programs are in place and fully staffed and supported now and have really changed Nordic skiing in our community and I feel yeah, I feel good about that. Yeah. And I plugged away at that and I and I I needed to give it back because I felt like so many people had believed in me. And so, you know, to share the sport in that way, you know, I feel a little bit, oh wow, I didn't do anything with my Bates English degree, but I did something with my Bates experience. And I still correct the kids on their grammar, so I guess it's <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess I might be. 
Do you take pride also looking at where like, you know, women's cross country is now women's lacrosse, you know, field hockey, all these programs that you were part of, you know, as well. And, and the, the growth they've had, right. Oh yeah. Oh, it's yes. When I think about lacrosse and our scraggly little club out there getting whooped by these big schools and, you know, I do. I, I went back a few years ago to back debates and watched a field hockey game. And I was, you know, those girls are impressive. And, and the lacrosse team, it's impressive and, and it's, it's fantastic. And yeah, the, well, I spent a lot of time around the ski team when Laurel was on the team and went to carnivals. I, we'd fly out east and go to some carnivals. And I just loved being part of it and, and knowing that, wow, this is great. So many student athletes get to take part in this. And it's an important part of your college experience. It really is. Any other thoughts on your time at Bates you wanted to share that we haven't gotten to talk about yet? The school has remained really the foundation of, of who I am, my adult self. And like I said before, you know, we're just not fully formed human beings when we're 18 and let out of high school. And so you do a lot of wandering in your college years and make a bunch of stupid mistakes. And it's, but you know what, you, you somehow you come out and, and Bates is just, it was always giving me the right messages all the way through, you know, just through the classroom. And, you know, my, I still think, you know, I reflect back on different professors I had and the things that they told me and, and how that stuff stays with you. And you're, you know, you're in such a formative state at that point in time that it's to have been influenced by so many smart and wise people when you're that age, I, I mean, I feel incredibly fortunate that that was my background. And then on top of it, to have had the sporting experience with all of those people, you know, my fellow athletes and, and you know, I mean, the integrity bar is, is super high at Bates. And it just, it does, it makes you be, you know, come out your best person. It's, it's a lot of people believe in you and they let you make your mistakes and they still, you know, you still get another chance to send in another paper and to write your thesis and and it I don't know I I, I don't regret any of my time at, at Bates and I love I really did love it all and and um, you know I'm still part of it in in some way and working with um, the fundraising now and, and helping out Becky with fundraising for the team it's it's fun to be able to to give back and I mean of course the campus has changed in so many ways and it's just beautiful and it's but it's fun to reminisce about like oh the old cage and you know to oh yeah we used to run around the top of the cage and on you know, the wooden track and just the funny stuff that I don't know and it's it's nostalgia I guess and the old the old commons and just going there now and seeing how beautiful everything is I'm happy for the students that who go there and I don't know what's going to happen next fall but I I sure hope everybody gets to go back and do what they can with the current situation. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll interview another Bobcat from days gone by who made a huge impact at Bates. Find out who next time on the Bates Bobcast. <laughs>